Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops Podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Culture Ops Podcast. I'm not a big fan of regret. I don't think it helps that much. I like to stay as present as possible and look at the possibility of the future. However, something I do really regret is how undeveloped my thinking was around diversity five years ago when we started Charlie. I made a lot of decisions that resulted in us building a business with a boatload of diversity debt. Diversity debt that has taken us years to pare down. It's something we're ultimately still paying for today. I wish at the time I'd realized the effect it would have on our early culture and the challenges it would create for us rectifying it years later. I think founders are often under pressure to deliver results, hit milestones, and hire their early team. Too often, building DE&I into that early team isn't at the top of their priority list. But I don't think they realize the damage it's doing to their long-term organizational culture. So to dig into that, I want to welcome someone who deeply understands the intersection of both of those worlds. Chacho, principal at Backstage Capital and chief of staff to Arlen Hamilton, the founder. Hey, Chacho, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to to have you. Um, So I guess before we jump in, uh, the first thing I think I have to say is congrats because um, Backstage just did a bit of a raise that that was quite public and lots of stuff going on going on about that on Twitter. So why don't you tell us about that? And also, um, for those that don't know about Backstage, give us a bit of a summary in terms of uh, what you all are about. Sure, thank you. Yeah, so um, I'll dive into what we're about first and then circle back to the questions and I appreciate it. So Backstage Capital is a uh, pre-seed and seed stage investment firm. We invest exclusively in underrepresented founders um, and the way we define underrepresented are women people of color, and LGBTQ founders. It's no secret that diversity is an issue in Silicon Valley, and we're sort of tackling that head on. And me personally, like, why do I do what I do? Back when I was in um, college, I read this report by Stanford called the Stanford State of Latino Entrepreneurship. And my dad is an immigrant from Mexico to the United States. And seeing my um, dad and my aunts and uncles sort of build this life up for themselves, essentially set up their kids for success, built a lot of gratitude in me um, to give back in some sort of way. And uh, I just didn't really know in what capacity. And a- after reading this State of Latino Entrepreneurship Report, I noticed that there was a big disparity in funding specifically towards Latinx founders. And I wanted to be part of that change. And to me, investing then became a more than just like a career. It really came, became a calling for me. And that's when I um, knew I needed to try to break into the industry however I could, particularly venture capital. And I was in school full-time, also working at like a, a retail store selling cell phones and cell phone plans. And 
during my free time, I would be on Twitter interacting with people, um, with, with founders and with VCs. And that's how I came across Arlen, reached out to her and um, asked her for some advice on breaking into the industry and also just um, resources to learn. And we continued to talk back and forth. And um, I'm coming up on four years now that I started working with Backstage. And so really, really very much so an outsider when it comes to this industry and uh, very happy to be here. And um, we recently raised the Reg CF um, on Republic. I raised $5 million. And that is simply to help us continue to operate and uh, do what we do as a firm. And then we are sharing in uh, our upside with um, our investors. And so they'll share in our carry, they'll share in our management fees um, forever, which is awesome. It's a very revolutionary way of doing things. And all credit to Arlen for coming up with that. Yeah, it was very cool to see that. And I think definitely, you know, my experience of backstage, um, you know, you, you use the word, um, outsider, but as an outsider looking in on, on backstage, um, it really feels like you're committed to delivering value and education to the ecosystem that is just far beyond just in, just investing in the business that you, the businesses that you invest in. Right? Does that, that does that feel fair? Absolutely, yes. I think um, since I started at backstage, Arlen was saying to the team that we need to deliver as much value to the 98% of companies that we don't invest in um, because we only invest in 2% of the companies that we see. And so we've been able to build a very large ecosystem around sort of adding value and around education. And now we're even going into helping um, people become angel investors and um, teaching uh, sort of like what, what we've learned in the past, you know, four or five years and Arlen almost a full decade now of building backstage. And so it's very, very much so a big part of our strategy is seeding the ecosystem. Yeah. I'm, I'm such a fan of that. I think giving back is, there's absolutely, there's value in it, but I think it's also, um, I think it's a good way to live your life, right? Absolutely. Yes. So, um, your thesis as a fund is to invest in founders who identify, you know, as, as women, people of color, LGBTQ plus. Um, what similarities do you notice across your founders um, that um, help you to understand the success that they're going to have? Yeah, I think there are a few things that come to mind immediately. First is grit. I think all founders have grit, and I think these characteristics. Um, are in all founders, regardless of their demographic. But I see these particularly in, in our founders that we invest in. Um, there's a large level of grit. There's also a large level of uh, resourcefulness. And so being able to make a dollar go a long way, being able to do a lot with a little is something that I see with our founders. And I see also the sort of like flexibility and creativity when it comes to company building that is unique, but um, two big traits that I, th- I find are sort of this grit and resourcefulness when it comes to uh, building companies. And even just like getting to where they are uh, to be able to accept funding, they've had to come a long way to even get to that point compared to some other counterparts. 
And you see that in kind of increased quantities in the founders that you work with um, in comparison to, you know, I guess the rest of the fundable companies out there on the market. Yeah, I do. That's really awesome. I'm fascinated with the idea that an, an organization's primary job in, in many ways is to set its team members up for success, um, you know, help them do their absolute best work. How do you think diverse workplaces do that better than those that aren't? Yeah, I think they, like, what they do is help bring different perspectives to the table and understand the value of those perspectives. And, um, you know, no two people are the same and no two people even within the same demographic are the same. And so um, being able to understand like a particular way a teammate grew up versus the way I grew up, for example, helps me have that perspective um, and then even if they have like a different perspective than I, than I do around a given strategy or um, decision, I understand where they're coming from and I understand the value and then bringing that to the table. Um, and I think also they're just like diverse workplaces are just more pleasant places to work as well. <laughs> you know, it, um, yeah, they're just something about it that uh, feels to me more uh, like light and enjoyable to come to work versus, um, yeah, I don't know. I imagine other, other, I, I, I've primarily worked at diverse workplaces, so I'm a bit, uh, uh, spoiled in that regard. Um, but the sort of, uh, nuances of our teammates lives sort of helps us become better human beings, become more empathetic, which in turn helps us, helps us become more empathetic to our customers and our customer base. And so um, even for me as an investor, having a diverse team and helps me understand uh, like I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a man, I'm not a woman. So I understand like um, a woman's perspective and like how a mother comes to the table, like comes to like how a mother builds a company or like how she brings herself to the, ta- to the table because some of my teammates are now mothers, especially new, new mothers. And so... Um, those are perspectives that I don't have otherwise and that are very valuable. So many interesting points in that. So there's two I want to unpack. The first one is this idea of uh, a diverse workplace has to be more accepting and, and therefore feels looser. Um, you know, we were just talking about... Um, uh, we were just talking about golf. We're talking about the Masters um, before we started recording this, and um, I was talking to someone today about like a basketball term that I always use, which is like play loose. The idea that if you like step up onto the tee, or if you're about to take that um, three pointer, if you're tight and you're um, stressed, and all that, all your muscles are feeling really, really like um, tense, like you're not going to hit the ball well, you're not going to and shoot the shot. Um, if you're playing loose, you're happy, you're smiling, you're, you're relaxed. And I, I think the same is so true of workplaces, right? Like workplaces where people can play loose and free and take risks and know that they're not going to get subjugated or, 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 or told off or um, 
you know, put on a pedestal and everyone's like, you made a mistake, that's really bad. You know, workplaces where people can take risks because there's that empathy there, I think is, is such a strong point. I hadn't quite made that comparison between, you know, a room where you've got people from lots of different backgrounds requires everyone to get on with each other, be accepting, uh, be empathetic, show a lot of love versus maybe an organization that doesn't, right? Yeah, and you know, you want people to bring their full selves to work because then they uh, work to their best potential. And if you, come, if you come to work and you feel like you can't be your full self, you do bring sort of that, you uh, have that rigidity about you and you feel sort of like enclosed a bit. And it keeps you from like working optimally. And it's interesting you bring that sort of sports analogy because um, I'm, I'm reading this book called 80-20, um, Run Slower to Run Faster or something. And literally in the chapter I'm reading right now, um, it talks about how um, at the less rigid you run as a runner, the more fluid you run, like the actual, you actually get better. You actually have a better pace. You have a better... Um, sort of form when you just can be your natural self and in, in running and not so focused on like the technique and uh, you have better hand-eye coordination, all the things that you alluded to above, which um, uh, is really important and can be translated into sort of like how you think about um, building an, an inclusive workplace for your team. Yeah. It's like when we get inside our own heads, that that's that's often where like we're not we're not running as well as we could we're not maybe operating as well as we could and so trying to allow people to to be themselves bring them full selves I think that 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 their full selves I think is is so important and the, the second point I, I wanted to pull out of what you were saying which I thought was super important is this idea of like customer obsession customer empathy and understanding of who your customers could be and how organizations that have a diverse team and a diverse workforce are going to be in a far better position to understand the needs of a diverse customer group, which like most organizations are building for the world in some form. Absolutely. So we all have pretty diverse customer groups. So our, our organizations should, should reflect that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think... I'll just give one quick anecdotal example of this. Um, my wife and I bought a uh, water filter recently, or the you know in the past few years, and the instructions that came with the water filter were very clearly written by someone who's an engineer, like very rigid, like all this science stuff behind it that we really don't care about. And my wife is like, yeah, I can tell that like they don't really, they have a team full of engineers working there. And if you just have even someone who brings a different perspective in terms of like how to interact with customers and how to talk to customers that maybe isn't an engineer, I can, it's safe to say that the instructions on how to operate the sort of water filter are probably going to be a lot simpler. (laughs) And so um, I think like that's just one sort of silly example of the effects and I have no idea. This is very anecdotal. I don't know the demographics of the team or anything, but I can just imagine what what it's like. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're, I think you're spot on, right? Um, you know, language choice, UX, 
like even device choice, right? You know, right. You, you, you live in a bubble and you think everyone's got an iPhone. It's like, well, actually, no, everyone doesn't have an iPhone, you know? That's definitely an interesting discussion to be had around, <laughs> Yeah, you know, something like Clubhouse, right? Which you can only get on iOS at the moment. Okay, awesome. I think the the part that I'm interested in that I guess links really, really nicely to that is how these effects compound. So does having the foundations of a diverse team allow you to build a more diverse team going forward, build a more world-class team going forward, i.e. the stuff becomes easier to do over time if you get it right from the beginning? Do you, do you see it that way or is it something that you can kind of turn on and off? I don't think it's something you can turn on and off per se. I think that it is something that is, if it's baked into the company culture from the beginning, it certainly uh, makes it easier and sort of you have this network effect over time where like um, if you and I were to start a company together, I'm going to be able to recruit a different set of people than, than you will. And then those people will be able to recruit a different set of people and bring different ideas and perspectives to the table. And then that sort of compounds on itself. And so I, I think that the earlier you can do it, the better, but it's never too late. And it's always sort of the right thing to do to prioritize that. And so I don't think, um, like, I, th- I think that if a company has done poorly before, there might be like, there might need to be a change in leadership or something of that sort. And it's different with startups, you know, it's, I think it's almost more difficult with startups. But if we're talking about like a large organization, maybe you can change out the CEO. Maybe you can change out some people on the board or add people to the board who will bring sort of that different perspectives to the table. And so, um, but I think it's absolutely essential for building this world-class team. And I guess as an investor, do you see team as as a big point of leverage? you know, in terms of how your thesis and and looking at potential companies to invest in is team an advantage? Yeah, team is um, a lot of it at the beginning. um, We do a lot of, we spend a lot of time evaluating the founder and the founding team and the surrounding team that they're building and even sort of the team that they plan to build. And if you sort of dig into... um, like how a founder plans to hire for in the future, you can understand whether or not they know their strengths and weaknesses because more often than not, a founder is going to try to hire for their weaknesses. And so, um, or, um, you know, I've met with founding teams where it's like a group of four men and I'm like, hey guys, just so you know, this is a big red flag for me because how are you going to build a product that's like a product for everyone in the world and you have a group of four dudes that are all your founders. You need to bring more women on the team because they're going to bring a different perspective than, than you will have. And they'll help you build a better product and they'll help you be more empathetic to your customer and customer. And so I think team is incredibly important at the beginning. Yeah, I love that you say that. I think, um, I think, I think team is everything, right? And I think... You know, yes, businesses can have underlying technology, they can have, you know, underlying insights, or they can have underlying domain expertise in an area. You still have got to have a great team to better take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, Agreed. 
if you can't capitalize on that because you haven't got a great team, it doesn't matter how great the opportunity is. Um, it, you know, it's not going to work. Yeah, and, and the, we're investing in pre-seed and seed, so there's not a whole lot of data to go off of besides sort of the team, the vi- their vision, and what they want to build. And so um, that's why we do spend a lot of time focusing on the founder and their background and other founding team members' backgrounds and whatnot. So that's a perfect segue, right? Because you're investing so early. Um, you know, I, I talked a little bit at the start of the show about some of the pressure I think founders feel from investors in some of those early days. You know, milestones, growth, um, are, are, you know, are definitely part of that precede seed story. You know, and for many reasons, rightly so, right? We're trying to build, trying to build businesses here. I'm not sure, though, we as an industry do a good enough job of painting the picture of what maybe some of the challenges that are coming down the line if they don't get some of those prioritization decisions correct early on. And, you know, I think the most obvious prioritization decision that I think affects diversity in later stage businesses is is time to hire, especially if, um, especially if you're trying to hire um, a team that maybe are from, have different um, backgrounds and are from, from different places and, and add something different to the business. You know, I use us as an example. We started as three white male founders. And um, I, love my, I love the founders that, that I started this business with, but I'm also incredibly conscious now of how um, blinkered that made some of our decisions and some of our choices. Now, in those early days, there is definitely a story to be written about wanting to move quickly. And and often your key point of leverage, once you've raised some funding, is to hire a team. How can we help people to understand that trade-off between maybe moving quickly and hiring the first candidate that walks through the door that can do the job, and maybe you've hired from your own network, which we all know does not um, necessarily um, do you any favors if you are trying to build a diverse organization, to taking a bit longer and finding the right person that brings something different to the organization. Sure. I think it paints a picture of just how difficult it is to build a company. Um, And I think that there's a real sort of opportunity cost that you have to think through when it comes to um, not hiring diverse people from the beginning. And you you mentioned in the beginning of your episode, sort of this diversity debt. And we talk a lot about technical debt and sort of having to go back and fix a lot of this stuff. And I I see it in a very similar vein where it's like, um, you have to sort of go back and then then now sort of fix things and... um, sort of try to change your company culture, but then it can feel awkward for the people who are already there. And it also can feel awkward for the people coming in. And so uh, there's, and then you think about as well, sort of the, you, you understand that there's data to back, there's data that says that diverse teams outperform non-diverse teams. Um, you just have to look, look up like a McKinsey report to see that. And so you think about the opportunity cost of literally money on the table. And in a world where you're sort of trying to have any sort of edge possible, especially as a startup, like especially as a startup, why not? Why would you not want to hire for diversity? 
because it's going to improve your business results. If you're just talking like as a simple sort of like marauding capitalist, um, you know, I've heard Jason Calacanis use that term before. <laughs> so credit to him. Um, like the, the data is there and for just purely business results. And so if you're trying to optimize for business results, you should be optimizing for diversity. And um, yeah, I think the uh, sort of actions are really difficult to sort of change and turn around. And there's a lot of, um, there can be a lot of distrust that's built within your organization. Um, And yeah, it's kind of like, I I don't know how how else to describe it besides it. It's also like the right thing to do, of course, um, no matter how how hard it is. But I mean, founders are, brilliant people and i i just don't understand how like when it comes to diversity it's like they somehow can't figure it out like we can figure out nfts we can figure out cryptocurrencies we can figure out all this other shit you know but then diversity they're kind of like uh it's a social issue it's whatever it's not my problem type of thing it's interesting isn't it i find myself having lots of these conversations you know about Things which feel really simple, Chacho, but that people do quite badly or that founders do quite badly or leaders do quite badly. And I, I think the thing I always come back to is that often the simple stuff is some of the hardest stuff to do. You know, the other example I always use is sort of vulnerability. I think a, a leader that can be vulnerable, and I would say Arlen does a superb um job of that from 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 what I see. Leaders that can be vulnerable, um, they inspire trust, they inspire openness, they inspire a team of people that want to work, work with them, right? They help to show that life is difficult. Running a business is, as you just said, a really, really difficult thing to do. We're not always going to get it right. They allow for failure. They allow for things to be not okay, for people to have bad days, people to have good days. And on the surface, that feels like a really simple idea, but it's often something that people find, you know, hard to do. And I think, you know, unfortunately, frustratingly, diversity sits into that camp, fits in that camp really, where it feels like such an obvious thing because it's the right thing to do. But also, as you just said, because the business results follow. You know, and I guess the, the, the pitch that I can paint for listeners is like how hard it becomes to hire a diverse team, a diverse team that you desperately need further down the line if you didn't do it from day one. You know, it has taken us five years to reverse those mistakes and we are still reversing those mistakes. Um, And yeah, there are many attempts to improve it at points where quite rightly there were candidates that said, no, actually, I don't want to um I don't want to be the first person of color that's going to join that organization because it doesn't look like an organization that that you know wants to work with people people like me. And hey from a personal perspective that is a at the moment at the time felt like a deeply shameful you know thing to go through it's a real moment of reckoning. Um, but cost us a lot of time later on, time that we could have easily saved if we'd um, if we got it right from day one and just baked it in 
from day one, not treated it like a project or a nice to have, treated it as that's just how you hire. Absolutely. And I think one thing that I even ask myself is like, if I look at my life um, just outside of work and outside of business, like what does my personal friend group look like? Is my friend group homogenous? And um, I think I like to get personal and vulnerable since you just brought it up. I grew up in a very, I grew up in rural Wisconsin, which is like farm town, middle of the Midwest. Uh, and I also went to private school my entire life. And so um, my parents sort of strategy was they didn't want me to be in a public school and be stigmatized as just another Mexican kid. Um, and going to private school, I grew up with um, in a very conservative circle, a lot of white friends, mainly all my friends were white. And it wasn't until I sort of like went to university that I, and I became friends with diff- people from different ethnicities and different um, sort of even like religions and different walks of life that I began, began to like open my eyes to the world. It's as if I was looking, I had glasses, like drunk glasses on, and then I took them off. I'm like, holy shit, the world is so clear now. And I think now when I think um, about even, even just going beyond sort of like demographic diversity, I have friends all over the U.S. I have friends um, across the world now as well. And I also have friends from different um, religious backgrounds or different... Um, like types of upbringings. And that really just makes my life a lot richer and uh, better. And I think it also makes me a better investor as well. Yeah, that's, that's really lovely. And it's so true, right? You know, I think sometimes we can get a bit fixated on the businesses that we're building, right? Or the um, the companies that we're trying to start, but actually, ultimately, like you can boil this down to a really human, to a really human perspective, which is like life is just so much more interesting and human when you surround yourself with people from all different walks of life. I feel that's, I feel like that's a good way to live life, right? Absolutely, I agree. I want to try and get positive for a second because I don't think it is all doom and gloom. And then, you know, from where you sit at Backstage, both investing in, uh, you know, underinvested founders, but also doing work in the entire ecosystem to educate and to support. And like, yeah, you guys do so much good work in terms of free content and content that people can engage with and, and be useful, be useful to them. Do you think you're seeing a shift in the industry? Do you think that, you know, we're in a better place today than we were a couple of years ago, that, 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 times are changing, that we're moving into a, in, in a better direction? Yeah, I think we are sort of seeing a shift. I, I, I guess I'd I wait to see like the numbers, true raw data, to really see like has more funding gone to underrepresented founders, are more diverse investors being hired um, from like a venture capital perspective to really see if there's actual change. I know there's certainly um, more conversation about it, and there's more um, just like open and open and like vulnerable talks like this that may have not may not have happened five years ago or a few, even a few years like three years ago. Um, and so 
I do think that with, even with like um, the change and sort of like, I guess not a change in consumer behavior, but consumers these days are also much more, uh, they buy based off values as, as well. And so I think as we continue to see that ripple effect, it's only going to build, like bleed into the way we build organizations. And um, I'm very bullish on this next up and coming Gen, Gen Z generation. And uh, I think they're incredible. And um, even my um, like seven-year-old niece understands what like appropriation is. And so like, that's just like music to my ears. It's, it's really, really cool to see. Um, and so I think that we'll continue to see the shift and we'll continue to see the change. And um, diversity is the future. And so I think if you're building sort of any organization, you're trying to build it to be, build it for the future and have it be a withstanding company for the years to come. And so um, like diversity is part of that equation and it's an important part. Yeah, I love that. Building for the future and, you know, it kind of rings. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, the Simon Sinek's new book that talks about, the, you know, the infinite games and finite games, you know, a game of basketball being being finite, but building a company is infinite. And if you approach it in that context of building long-term value, I think you end up building a far more valuable and better organization, right? Um, I want to think about tactics. And uh, we always try and leave people with things that they can think about and do. Um, so from your perspective, I guess, having worked with tons of great founders through Backstage, being passionate about this topic. What are the two or three things that you would suggest an early stage founder think through properly to bake diversity into their culture from day one so they don't accumulate loads of diversity debt? Sure. I think first and foremost, it starts with your mindset. If you believe that diversity is like some sort of charitable act and you have some sort of savior complex, I think you need to start there, really dig into the data and sort of like have a reckoning with yourself. And I think like I'm really big around like investor and founder mindset and that, that's where I would start. So you have that all figured out. You understand diversity is really important. You understand it leads to better business results. I would say think about how you uh, recruit. Recruit from places that are sort of outside of uh, what you would think are traditional, I guess. So like HBCUs is one example. How you word your job description is another thing. Don't put in the perks that you have a ping pong table and beer on tap. Like, girl the fuck up type of thing. Um, and then I would also say, think about your, as you, you build, like think about the policies you have. Um, if I, like one way I thought of like, if you had a founding team of like five dudes, I'd be like, so what's your maternity leave policy? And just wait to see, because they probably hadn't thought of it. And so um, thinking about like, maternity leave, thinking about mental health days, thinking about um, how you sort of uh, build inclusive and diverse policies within your organization is also a way to um, attract talent and build diversity within your organization. Kind of really music to my ears. 
I think, you know, getting straight with yourself about your understanding of, of, of it as a topic. We have seen far too much, you know, talk about the importance of things with no follow-up of action. And I think making sure that you, you, you know, you understand it, you believe in it, you get it, you're, you're doing it for the right reasons. I love that. To all of those tactical things that you can do to make a job description in a way that you're advertising and the people that you're advertising to, you know, you should, we shouldn't just be writing job descriptions and job ads that, that we read and go, that sounds great. We should, be write, we should be writing job ads that, you know, people from, from different places and, and different backgrounds also read, right, and, in, and, and enjoy and are in, and enthralled by. And then I just love it when people talk about policies because I think on the surface there can be these really unsexy things that businesses don't want to talk about, but actually they are central to an organization's culture. And so getting those right and making sure that they are going to support a diverse group uh, of people and that they're inclusive for the organizations that, you, that you've got in your organization, I think are, yeah, so important. Yeah, they're essential for retention too. Yeah, keep great people there. Yeah, spot on. Um, and that is about all we have time for today. Um, a big subject and a really important subject. And Chacho, I really appreciate your vulnerability and... Um, I appreciate you sharing with me and um, and tackling this this topic. It won't be the last conversation that 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 I have with people uh, on this topic, and I think it's something that deserves continuous airtime. So I appreciate you kicking it off with me. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it as well. And uh, as ever, I need to thank Mel, our producer, uh, behind the virtual glass, keeping this show on the road. To all of you listening along, wherever you are. We really appreciate you. We appreciate you being with us and and listening and engaging with us. Uh, We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling generous, please do head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review uh, and maybe five stars if you're feeling feeling, uh, generous. We look forward to seeing you again soon. I've been Ben Branson-Gately, your host, and this has been the Culture Ops Podcast. 